Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is turning the tables with my friend, Nate Schutz. Nate is the host of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics podcast and is currently building a private community for logistics entrepreneurs, specifically bootstrappers. The name of the organization is called Ballast. We'll put a link in the show notes. Nate recently interviewed me on his podcast. That's the Bootstrapper's Guide. We talked about the logistics of logistics and discussed my backstory. I always enjoy my conversations with Nate Schutz. This time, we recorded it. It's Nate interviewing me. Please check it out. Are you a 3PL spending more time and money than you'd like recruiting and onboarding logistics roles? Then it's time to check out Rapido Solutions Group, the leaders in nearshore logistics staffing. Located right next door in Mexico, they have access to the freight talent you need. From carrier sales to tracking and tracing and everything in between, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So if you're ready to get your time back and want to move fast, check out Rapido Solutions Group. Visit GoRapido.com to get started today. Hello, and welcome to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, the podcast highlighting founders doing it the way that doesn't get a lot of attention. We're here to change that by sharing their stories and inspiring others to take the leap. It's a roller coaster ride that you might ultimately fail. That's when I kind of knew I was on to something. It was very hard. It truly is building a legacy. The more life you live, the more wisdom you have. Because we are where we're supposed to be, kind of answering the call. Don't shoulder entrepreneurship on your own. I'm your host, Nate Schutz. Let's build something together from the ground up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm excited today to get to chat with somebody who has not only had a, a big impact on the supply chain industry and independent media, but it's also helped me get my own podcast launched behind the scenes almost two years ago. So would like to introduce Joe Lynch, the founder of Logistics of Logistics. Not everybody else knows this, but before I ever launched the very first episode of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, you were kind enough to spend a couple of hours with me showing me some of the ropes and things to watch out for. And I took copious notes and I still have them. Actually, one of these days I should take a picture of it and send it to you. But I owe a lot of my own success directly to you, Joe. So I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's, I'm glad to help. And by the way, Nate, I say this all the time to younger people. You know, not that you're the younger person. You are younger than me, for sure. So often, young people are looking for answers. And I always say, as you get older, you, you're more likely to ask. And I think our mutual friend, Ryan Schreiber, introduced us. And he said, Joe, yeah, you need to talk to Nate. He's going to start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to help. By the way, you've helped me along the way, too. Because as soon as you start seeing other people doing things, you're like, oh, How's he doing that? I mean, even now I'm looking and going, oh, you use Zencaster. I don't use that. Why is he using that? Is that better? Is it worse? I don't know. But you start to learn just through these interactions. For those that aren't familiar, Zencaster is a podcasting platform and, and Joe uses a different one. I was on Joe's show recently as well. And I had the exact same question. I was looking at your screen saying, I wonder if that one's better than what I'm using. Squadcast. By the way, that, I remember one of the first time I interviewed anyone in media was something from Freight Waves. 
And I remember they go, what are you using here? I was using Ringer. What is Ringer? And they go, it's made for podcasts. And I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get that. And by the way, don't use Ringer. I was not a fan after a while. By the way, I shouldn't say that. They probably improved it. But it's funny when you talk to other people in the media, you learn stuff. And again, the logistics media has exploded. And I will say, I, yesterday I talked to Trey. I feel like we've all ha- are become friends, everybody who says podcasting. <laughs> it's interesting. Somebody asked me the question, are there too many competitors in the independent logistics media and podcasting space? And I said, absolutely not. First, we're not competitors. We all have a slightly different take and a slightly different audience. Just like cable TV, you've got 600 channels. The cooking show isn't competing with the NFL network. That's a great analogy. But I also think like bands where somebody says, you know, there's enough rock bands. Well, yeah, I guess if we all wanted to listen, as long as you want to listen to all the old stuff, but there's new stuff coming out every day. And why not take a listen? So you also have the distinction, though, of being one of the original independent content creators. I'm curious, how did the logistics of logistics get started at all in the first place? So I started working. My dad had a small engineering business. I came home from college after one year. I started working for my dad's business. We did engineering design for Ford Motor Company and other companies. That was not something I was gifted at by any stretch. So I was a crappy draftsman. And that was even before the CAD systems in the 80s. So I worked for my dad. I ended up even running his business after my dad got sick. Small business. We ultimately end up closing that business. I was probably 26 years old, 25 years old, and I was a draftsman. I didn't have a degree in anything, so I worked in drafting, engineering design, whatever you want to call it. The CAD systems came around. I started working in those. I got my degree in business at night, and at that time, I took an engineer's job. So I worked my way through engineering, and I got my master's in education along the way. I worked in engineering. I launched cars all over the world. China, Thailand. I did a lot of consulting. I was a program manager in a lot of roles. Always thinking, I want to get back into my own business. But in automotive, everything is so big. It's hard to be a small supplier in automotive. In 08, 09, when everything melted down in automotive, I was working at a company that I hoped someday to buy a small engineering business. And I was doing lean for Chrysler and their tier ones. And I got laid off. Chrysler didn't pay us, so I got laid off. Not everyone got that bailout. And I ended up getting recruited to a little logistics company. And it was a great opportunity. I came in as the general manager, COO, very big title for what I was doing at day one. It needed some operational help, and I was there to do it. And then I kind of grew into a sales role, and I was again general manager, COO. I learned the LTL business that way. And I had come from the supply chain background, so I knew. You know, automotive is the biggest, baddest supply chain on earth. So I understood how things should be done. While I was doing that, my executive coach, she said, you should start blogging. And I was like, why? She goes to get customers. And she says, I think you'd be good at it. So I started blogging. And she even said, she goes, just call it the logistics of logistics. And I was like, that's a good placeholder name. I wrote it down. And then I called my brother-in-law, Matt Collins, over at Sun Ant Interactive and He said, oh, I love that name, the logistics of logistics. He goes, that's available. Go buy that. I go, well, it's just a placeholder. And he goes, buy it now. And I was like, all right, I bought it. And then I was like, I'll change it. But every time I said the logistics of logistics, people, oh, I love that name. And I was like, you know, this is the right name. For whatever reason, it didn't hit me as the right name at the beginning. While I was still at 
this little logistics company, I started writing blogging. Our friend Adam Robinson was at Saracis. He just came into the industry. He was a marketer somewhere else before that. And we became friends. And I remember at that time, I started meeting people because I was writing a lot of articles. Every spare evening, I'd sit at a restaurant or a bar and <laughs> write blog posts. And I got a big following. Then people started saying, hey, could you help us get that big following? And I was like, sure. And so I thought I'd go into marketing. I did that for a minute. I did some sales training. I did a lot of training classes. I did a lot of consulting. I tried on every damn hat there was trying to figure out what business I want to be in to leverage this big following I had. And then I started podcasting about five and a half years ago. I was just trying to get some more consulting work and it developed into what it is today, which I will say, as I've mentioned to you earlier, you could call it a media site, but what I really prefer to call it, it's a logistics sales platform. I want to help people tell their story, be heard, and sell some services. And I think there's so often, Nate, you're a perfect example. You've seen the same thing I've seen. There's experts everywhere, and no one knows who they are because they are they get their nose to the grindstone. They're working all day long. And then every once in a while, they go to a conference. They're like, that guy's on the stage talking about his expertise. I have the same expertise, but no one knows who I am. It reminds me of musicians. There are musicians out there that are technically way better than famous bands out there today. And sometimes it's an individual who plays in a small bar in a small town and they never get heard, but they are truly elite musicians. They deserve to be heard. And the rise of YouTube and other platforms, TikTok, has now created a forum for those independent musicians to get their material out into the world. And people are gobbling it up. And now we're getting to hear music that we otherwise never would have heard of just because the means of distribution have changed. And so independent media has given a platform to some of those experts or an opportunity to get them in the spotlight. And it's a blast because they're not totally accustomed to it, but they have some of the best insights I've ever heard. Probably just like you, I avoid political talk on my podcast. First off, I don't like it. But secondly, no one's listening to my podcast for that. What drives me crazy is if you turn on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, that's going away. They get less views every day. And independent media on YouTube is slowly but surely taking over. So when somebody says the media is controlled by the left, media is controlled by the right, you're like, kind of doesn't matter. I look at those late night hosts, by the way, I love all these shows, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. I shouldn't be up watching it. I don't watch them now. All of them, they're all great. They don't get the audience they once did. So if I wanted to watch something funny, I go on YouTube, I go on Instagram. I, by the way, I had to delete Instagram off my phone today because I was wasting too much time. Again. <laughs> well, don't give any of our listeners ideas. Don't do not delete the <laughs> podcast app off of your phone if you're spending too much time. We really need you to listen. The podcast is different. <laughs> That's longer form. But anyway, getting back to it, all of a sudden, all the means of production came cheap enough that we're all saying, hey, I can buy a microphone. I can do a podcast. I have something to talk about. I'm going to do it. And then it's created not only a platform. And, and for you, it's opened up the next chapter of your career in entrepreneurship, but it really does highlight voices that don't get heard other ways. So I'm curious after the years that you've been doing this, are there any stories that stand out to you that you're particularly proud of or fond of? 
there's so many interviews that I've done where I'm just like so impressed with the people. <laughs> and that's the, it's hard not to be. Also, you know this as well as I do. It's inspiring to work with. So when they always say you become the five people you hang out with the most, well, I kind of feel like the people I hang out with the most seemingly are people I interview because I do three interviews a week. Sometimes I do five or seven interviews a week. All I hang out with is these people who all, whether they were BC backed or founded a company or running a company, some of these guys who are running companies are just very impressive, but no one story sticks out. But what I will say is what's changed over the 400 interviews I've done is my own idea of what I should be doing. And I really feel strongly about the idea that I want to give people a chance to tell their story, to share their personality and then share their expertise and hopefully sell something. And my feeling is always the same as I just did interview you. So when I released that, my goal is for somebody to go, oh, I like this Nate Shoot guys. He, he's cool. And then you talk about the problem that you solve and they go, I have that problem and Nate solves it. By the way, I like him. And then at the end, when you say, uh, yeah, this is the services I sell and they go, I got to reach out. I got to check the show notes. I got to reach out and get to that Nate Shoot guys. And it happens. You know that as well as I do. It works. We are the dark funnel because you can't always track how those people, what those people are doing until they actually reach out. So I feel like that's the big learning for me is my role in this. When you're the host of these shows, people go, oh, you become a little famous in the space. I kind of don't even look at it that way. People know who you are, but I'm like, what I'm doing isn't remarkable. The people I talk to are remarkable. The reason my podcast has been successful to whatever extent it has been is because of the people who I got to come on it. I refer to the same concept as I play rhythm guitar and the guest is the lead singer. And if I do my job really, really well, you notice me, but only indirectly. And the attention is on the guest. My uh, good friend and executive coach, Ann Holm, who I, I'm going to introduce you to her. She said to me, she goes, Joe, you are the ultimate wingman. <laughs> and I go, connotations, you know, bar with your buddies trying to impress girls, but I said, I can't use that professionally. Well, and it takes a rare person to be comfortable not needing that spotlight. The freight famous thing is interesting because I get reached out to by some very impressive people and some strange people. And it's hard to understand when other people have an agenda. So how do you balance being freight famous and handling all kinds of uh, messages that you receive. First off, I'm glad people do reach out to me. They reach out to me through LinkedIn a lot. I'm big on LinkedIn. I get a lot of emails. My email's out there so people know how to reach me. I'm happy because I ended up getting some sponsors that way, some advertisers that way. And other people, I don't want to have you on my podcast if it's not good for my audience or if it's not good for you. And so right now you said, hey, Joe, I got a brand new business and I sell close. And I'd love to be on your podcast because you're a big audience. I'm like, no, no, no. My, my guest doesn't want to hear somebody who sells clothes. That's not, we'll talk about the logistics. We'll talk about the supply chain, but I don't want to do that. Also sensitive. And you, you probably get the same thing. Sometimes you, somebody reaches out and says, oh, I'd love to talk to you about what we're doing. We're doing this. this. And then you go on LinkedIn, you're like, oh, it's just you. No shame. I don't have a lot of employees. <laughs> But a lot of those businesses I've learned, they sometimes they get a job and they're gone in six months. And then I'm like, so I don't want to interview somebody who's so small. But I do also, I interview people who have a cool idea that will never become a sponsor. Most of the people who come on my podcast never become sponsors, never become advertisers. But it's something that my audience wants to 
learn about, or hopefully that's my expectation is that they want to learn about it. So, I mean, you, you know, this as well as I do, you have your first customer is the audience and they are hard to understand because you don't have their emails and you don't know what they're doing. And then the other is the guest. And I feel strongly that I have to find good guests for my audience. And then for the guests, they have to get favorable attention. If you come on my podcast, you're like, oh my God, Joe, I sound like an idiot. And I'm like, that's okay. No, that's not okay. You have to get favorable attention. One of the other benefits that people don't understand about creating content is how broad of a network you develop simply through being exposed and introduced to hundreds of interesting people. In doing all of that, you've met heads of industry, very influential and powerful people. How do you keep track of all of that? I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't. <laughs> I do notice, Nate, uh, you do become friends with certain people, other people not so much. And it is interesting because when you go to some of these conferences, you go, oh, my God, I, I'm meeting all these people in real life. And you're like, and some are like, oh, hey, Joe, it was great being on your podcast. Some are doing that thing where like, hey, good to see you. But they're looking over your shoulder, like looking for somebody better. So my master's degree is in education geared towards consulting and training. So I really like the idea of keeping it simple, assuming that my audience is not an expert in the topic. So I would like everybody to break down all the acronyms, all the industry jargon. I want it to be interesting for my audience. For my guests, I really want them to shine through. And sometimes I know you probably have the same thing. You're like, I want that guy's personality to come through. Sometimes it doesn't because they're, they're a little more introverted or they're a little nervous or whatever. But my goal is for them to go, oh, that guy's great. I love that guy. I want that guy to solve my problem. They don't even have to hear you talk about the solution. We'll be right back. Have you heard about Bitfreighter and the EDI revolution? Bitfreighter helps companies automate communication with their freight partners through unlimited messaging and quoting. Traditional providers can't say that. The Bitfreighter team is also available 24-7 and responds immediately by phone, email, or yes, even text. Legacy providers can't say that either. So if you want to scale your operations to save time and money, come join the EDI revolution with us. Visit bitfreighter.com to get started today. What are you finding most interesting in all of the industry right now? Well, obviously, AI is very interesting. Just scratching the surface of somebody's listening in five years, they're like, we'll know a lot more, obviously. That technology really interests me. I will also say just from a, on the media front, a lot of the things that we're seeing in the, in the independent media, I guess, all the podcasts that are popped up, that's interesting to me. And by the way, when I say podcasts, they're increasingly becoming little media companies picking a niche. And I love that. Logistics and supply chain is probably what, 7%, 11% of the, the world's population. There's lots of people who, who, can, who we can reach out to, but I find that a very interesting thing. Definitely the technology, and I'll say AI specifically, the media. And one other thing, Nate, and we talked about it the other day, is this idea of community. And I know you have Ballast, your community. And to me, we're all working remote all of a sudden. A lot of us are. This industry has always, I'm based in the East Coast. The trucking company that I hired is in Georgia and the customers in California. We don't meet very much. And I think all of a sudden we're seeing all these conferences pop up. And that's interesting to me because it's 
not just the conferences, but the communities that are growing around the media companies, growing around the conferences, feels like it's getting very tight. If you listen to Mark Zuckerberg's original why that he espoused, you know, underneath the business plans of Facebook, it was to connect the world. The cynic would look at that and say, that's a nice packet or wrapper that you put around a set of software that's just designed to do marketing at the end of the day. It's a great sounding concept. And the internet really has done that, though. I mean, you and I are talking to each other from hundreds of miles away in perfect video and audio clarity. The internet is also used wrongly, can create a ton of division and separate people. And there is no substitute for being face to face with somebody. I can be rude to you in an email. I can be rude to you, you know, through Zoom. It's very hard to be rude to you in person. I remembered after COVID, meeting with some old buddies and there was just a big text chain going back and forth. So one of my friends said, hey, why is, uh, who invited so-and-so? And I go, I don't know. We went to school with him. He goes, yeah, but he, and he said something political. And I was like, oh, I don't care about that. And he goes, no, but I don't like his blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh. And I said, you know what? I just saw him at a class reunion thing. And I said, you don't talk about that in real life. You just did during the pandemic. And it's funny. They said they see each other, talked all night. And then my other buddy said, you know, you're right. He goes, you forget. We got so used to being in our own little isolated world where the only human interaction was social media. And you didn't like what somebody said one day. It's not the real world. I really miss the days of not knowing what else somebody believed. Then my relationship with them would just start organically. And I would be like, I'm not going to hang out with you because I think you're a jerk, not because of what you believe or, you know, what views you have. I remember watching CNN and CNN got really big during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. I would come home from work. I worked right down the street. I was an engineer and I would come home and watch the CNN because you got round the clock on the war. And they had, CNN had 30 minutes. They had the same 30 minutes over and over again. And the 30 minutes would be national news. Then it would be business, sports, weather, entertainment. It was pretty predictable. You could turn it on at 26 after and watch the sports scores. I always say, who asked CNN and then Fox and all the others to run politics 24-7? And really the answer was, it's easy. It also engages people apparently and we can advertise on it. So that's all that mattered. Well, I looked at the screens. I went to the gym and the TVs are all on mute. And so there's because there's people working out and there are captions scrolling along the bottom and there are different cable news channels, you know, being watched. As I was watching them, I just thought to myself, you know, you have different channels reporting on the same story, but with wildly different conclusions and inflammatory statements. And I just thought to myself, this type of media are like cigarettes for the brain. My friend, Steve, who you just talked to the other day, he said to me one time, he said, that kind of media has a purpose. It wants to um, scare you and it wants to enrage you. And he says, outrage and fear moves feats. It's the new, if it bleeds, it leads. And yet it does have a significant destructive force or impact over the long term. Increasingly, when I go to the gym or go for a walk, if I listen to anything, I'm listening to Spotify or I'm listening to a podcast. And I think of certain podcasts that I listen to. I like Joe Rogan. I think why people like Joe Rogan so much is he's a curious guy. He's kind of interesting. I like when he's interviewing comedians. I don't care about when he does wrestling or hunting. That's not my stuff, but I don't mind. 
And then there's all these podcasts. I was talking to Ramel Watley, another podcaster, and he said, oh, I love my first million podcast. I was like, oh, I like that. I just, there's certain podcasts you listen to and you go, yeah, this gets me away from all of the other nonsense. And by the way, Joe Rogan said this one time, and I thought it was an interesting insight. He said, when people listen to the podcast, they begin to think, these are my friends and we're hanging out. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah. They develop an affinity towards the host. I recall the first time that I had somebody say to me on a phone call, oh my gosh, you sound just like you do on the show. And it caught me off guard because, of course, my voice sounds the same on both. To me, I'm the same guy. I started the logistics of logistics as a blogger, and I started a group on LinkedIn. And now that group's like 330,000 people in it. And so you can post on that group once a week as the owner. This was years ago. I was going to a logistics company, and I was thinking about taking a job there. And they go, yeah, don't come to our main office. I said, why not? They go, come to that terminal. I go, why? They go, because we don't want everyone knowing that you're looking to come here. I go, it's not like that. He goes, no, they know who you are. How do they know who I am? They go, because we forward the blog post to them in the group. They go, look in your group. And I was like, am I kind of famous? It's an appropriate degree of influence, perhaps. Like You can go to the grocery store and nobody knows who you are. Yet the Kardashians can't. They're, they're swamped everywhere they go. And I'm still figuring my way through this. I didn't expect, there's been a lot of things that have happened through my own journey of podcasting that I certainly could not have anticipated. 99% of it positive, but there's the occasional message that I get that is hard to read. But for the most part, as you said, 99.9% is positive. Before we hit record, we were also talking. I know you do mostly bootstrappers, but you engage with everybody. Right before we record, we're talking about some of the VC-backed companies and some of the challenges. We're in a difficult market right now. We're talking about the idea that we don't do anything negative on the podcast. First off, we don't know enough about these companies. But secondly, you can't have sponsors that way. I'm having people on so I can help them sell more services. I want them to tell their story. By the way, most of my career, no one knew my story. I woke up in the morning and early, I went to a job. I sat in a cubicle for 10 hours a day. I went to meetings. I traveled, but no one knew who I was. And by the way, this was I started the logistics of logistics as a blog for a reason. I was very upset in 08, 09 when Chrysler went bankrupt. I was doing work with them. I knew tons of people. I'd always been dragged along in my career by a higher up who said, oh, we need Lynch to fix that. All of a sudden, I realized there's nobody to call. There's nobody who can help me. I remember I say, I call buddy and say, hey, you got, let's go. What project you working on? He's like, just hoping to keep my job, dude. No sense asking, asking if you can bring me aboard then. It's an interesting point because I can ask the question, what do you want to be known for? You also just have to be known. If nobody knows about you and what your amazing gifts and unique talents are, and maybe it's the next job isn't going to find you because they don't know you exist. There's a risk of just keeping your head down and not building a personal reputation or even a personal brand uh, that is known for something. I went to Manifest this last year. I got invited, I think it's Auto Tech Ventures. And they invited me to a pre-Manifest cocktail party. So I went there. It was at the Paris. It was very nice. I looked at their portfolio companies before I went and I was like, oh, I've interviewed like seven of their portfolio companies and one of their partners. When I went there, I was talking to these founders 
two of them said to me, they were just talking over a drink and they said, everybody who interviews with me listens to the podcast I did with you. They find that first and they listen <laughs> so they can be knowledgeable. And I was like, oh, isn't that cool? I, I wouldn't have thought of that, but it's an interesting thing that you, people are getting found and saying, oh, I found Nate's podcast about Joe Lynch. And then that leads them to discover what your point of view is, what your offering is. For a lot of folks, they're selling themselves. They're looking for that next, you know, the first time being a director at a company or their first executive job or we're always selling. No matter what your job is, you sell something. For most of my career, most of your career, you're an ops guy. You are always selling. You're putting together a 20 slide PowerPoint slide to get funding, to get whatever you were looking for that week. <laughs> What fuels you beyond the industry and the work that you do? Why do you do it? I started off working with my dad's company. We had some good years and we had some interesting things happen. I liked the idea of building a company and I was doing it with my dad. My dad could be a little difficult, but he, he loved me dearly and he, he wanted that for me and I wanted that for me. I thought, this is great. I want to own a business. I want to build something. Nate, my kids are grown. I have enough money to live. I'm happy getting, you know, a ton of money would be not, I'm not going to throw it out if you give it to me, but that isn't necessarily the motivation. I want to build a great company and I want to make an impact. My executive coach said this, and it sounds a little puffed up, but I'll say it anyway. She said, yeah, this is kind of a legacy. And it's a legacy for me where I feel like I can help people learn about this industry expose them to leaders in this space. But then for my, for my guests, put them up on that platform, let them tell their story, let them be seen, let them be heard and hopefully it grows their business. But if nothing else, it just raised their profile a little bit. So I really love what I'm doing. It's been fun. And building the business is kind of what I want a business right now that didn't have this podcast. And I was like, no, I don't think I would. I, Cause I like what I'm doing with that still. That's what I maybe enjoy the most about our conversations, Joe, is you are never trying to be something. You just are who you are and you have found a path that gives you the opportunity to fully be yourself while helping other people. Maybe it takes a lifetime to find that place for some people. I will say, Nate, I was working in engineering. I was not, I went to engineering school at night for a while. I was already working as an engineer and I was kind of looking going, oh, okay. Can I get an engineering degree? It's really hard. <laughs> I'm going at night. It's not easy. I started realizing I'm already an engineer and I don't particularly love the work. And I worked with guys who would go home and build their own computer or they go home and renovate, you know, 57 Chevy or a Jeep or whatever. And I realized they love this stuff. This is what they want to do. And I'm going home and I'm reading the Wall Street Journal and I'm reading business biographies. And it occurred to me, I don't want to go back and get an engineering degree. So I got my master's in education really with the idea of how do we educate adults? How do I do training? So I've done a ton of that kind of stuff. And this selling training is difficult, but you're a trainer. I'm a trainer. You just don't get paid as a trainer. You get paid as a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very true. I was talking to my daughter yesterday and she works for a company and then she's responsible for freight all of a sudden. And I was telling her, I go, oh, well, did you listen to this podcast? She goes, and by the way, this is everyone should listen to our podcast every day. But she said, oh, I didn't hear that one. I was like, come on, kid. <laughs> so my own kids won't listen. She goes, no, no, I'll listen to it. I want to learn about that. Well, we, we have a, a similar experience then. My oldest daughter just went off to school for the first time. 
has the same professor that I had in graduate school studying entrepreneurship. And so she's been calling me every evening talking through the case studies because I worked on those same case studies. And it is a trip to get to see your kids take an interest in things that you love and you get to share something. Like with my oldest son, we share golf. We just love golfing together. And uh, my youngest daughter, she's an artist and I'm a musician. And so we can bond over that. And my youngest son is a natural comedian and we just laugh ourselves silly. And so with each of them, I've got something, a unique relationship and a different bond of the subject matter. If you have a daughter who's expressing interest in supply chain and, and you can talk business, how fun. That's all, also been interesting. A lot of times universities use my podcast, probably yours too. So that's a sign. So one time there's these college kids called me on once a while and go, could you tell us about this, this, and this? And I was like, well, I did a podcast on that. And they go, yeah, it was assigned at our school. I go, what? Wow. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> You're required reading now. By the way, our mutual friend, Steve Elwell, his son was at Grand Valley State University. It's, it's a big school in Grand Rapids. He says, they're assigning the interview I did with Steve in the negotiation class, he goes, he goes, my kids were asking, hey, are you, inter are you related to this guy? And he's like, it's my dad. <laughs> that is absolutely wild. Well, Joe, we have years and years worth of storytelling ahead of both of us, I'm sure. Again, I'm, I'm so grateful for the personal support that you've offered me on my own journey. You are following through on, on what your commitment is to have an impact on people and support them on their journey. And Thank you for sharing your own entrepreneurial journey. There's not a lot of folks that have traveled the path that you have, and I get to follow in your footsteps. So thank you, Joe. We are all rooting for you and wishing you nothing but uh, continued success. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. And a special thank you to our sponsors and the team behind the scenes who make it all possible. Be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to get the latest updates. To learn more about the show and connect with the growing community of entrepreneurs, visit logisticsfounders.com. And of course, thank you to all the founders who trust us to share their stories. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.